0: Open up to the book of Titus, find your way over there. Each one of those notes will give you a, um, they give you a memory verse, or some memory verses. The first uh, couple of lessons on Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, and then, um, then there will be some coming up a little later from chapter 3 verses 4 through 8. So hopefully I encourage you to participate in that, in uh, your scripture memory. I think it'll be rewarding for you. It'll be worth it. And then, as homework, you know, the book of Titus only has 46 verses. That's good reading, you know, good daily reading through the book of Titus. And then, of course, we'll slow down and break it down. And uh, kind of going through chapter 1 now, last uh, time we met, two weeks ago, we introduced the book and got through the first um well, six verses or so, and today we'll just have a word of review uh, to get back into that <clears throat> uh, after having last week and really enjoying the God and Country Day. Appreciate the good preaching last week, Brother Kevin, and appreciate God uh, giving us a, a great country to live in. What a privilege, what an honor it is. And um, you know. And then uh, not only giving us the privilege of living here, Brother Tucker, but then giving us the responsibility of living here. <laughs> Hey, with every privilege comes a responsibility doesn't it and an accountability so i mean i think it's up to us to to protect uh what god's given us so pray we'll be faithful in that area let's pray for a moment father we pray god you just uh help us here today lord knowing that um, without the spirit of god working there'll be no help and lord thank you for the precious words you've given us lord as the holy spirit applies it to our lives i just pray we'd be Uh, Subject to it and uh, obedient, instantly obedient to what you tell us. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Titus chapter 1, just as a way of review, the first thing uh, Paul charges Titus with here is uh, is to preach the word. Uh, We see the the importance of that in verse 3. And then he tells him the second thing is to put the church in order, and that's in verse Five, and we'll kind of pick up there with me. Read along in verse 5. It says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. And so there's, his, there's the reason they wrote the book here. Uh, and then he gets into the qualifications of elders and a bishop. And so elders is always used plurally. And I think elders speaks to the men that God uh, raises up there. And I think that bishop speaks to the the office of pastor. And I think uh, the other, what's the other office that we see in the scriptures? Acts chapter 6, deacons, right? So we see the two offices there, elders being the men that occupy these offices, and the bishop being the pastor, which we see also from Ephesians chapter 4. And so, what are the qualifications? So let's look at this, just review a couple of things from chapter 6, I mean from verse 6, and then we'll just press on from there. It says, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, unruly. So let's stop there for a second. I want to give a little bit of further clarification on some things I said, in case you were here the first week when we talked about this. Uh, about that phrase the husband of one wife now according to Matthew well according to Genesis from the very beginning God laid it out what his plan was for the family right that one man and one woman would join together and stay that way forever for all of life that is okay and um and that's still God's plan. And Jesus renewed that again in Matthew chapter 5 and in chapter 19. He says, hey, this is the plan that God hath given. And they were questioning him specifically in chapter 19 of Matthew about the issue of divorce. And in both places, Jesus gives one condition for divorce, for the writing of a divorcement. And what was that? Adultery, right? Okay. So... He says, if there be fornication, if there be adultery, uh, then therefore you can write a, uh, a, a, a letter of divorcement. Okay. Now, why was the letter given? Because they questioned him about, can a man d- d- divorce his wife for any reason? And he said, no. Okay. But then he said, and he said, well, why did Moses give us this? And what was the reason that Moses... God had Moses write that. That's right. It was a hard issue, Brother Terry, is because men had hardness of heart, okay? But even in that, because of the reason of that, he still granted that as a reason for divorce. And, uh, and so if we look at this passage again, and we look at that phrase, it says, the husband of one wife. So, okay. There's a couple of ways we need to. We always, when we evaluate scripture, what's the first thing we need to do is rightly interpret the scripture. Right? Because if we don't interpret it correctly, then we can't apply it correctly. Yes or yes? Okay. So I'll help you with the hard ones now. All right. So there you go. We got got to get the right interpretation. And according to Peter, how many interpretations are there? Yeah. In other words, are you entitled to a private interpretation of the scriptures? No. Okay. So we have to understand the intent of what this verse is teaching. Okay. And if we look at it and we, we miss the intent, okay, of this, if we miss the interpretation of this, then we're going to misapply it in our lives. Is that right? And that goes for any scripture, right? And so this is, if we look at these scriptures in there, this whole verse right here. What's the subject matter here? It's the qualifications of an elder, and specific. What area of, of an elder's life are we talking about here, sir? Family. Talk about family life. So this then, an elder is supposed to be a family man, and he's supposed to be a blameless family man. Amen. And so, to be blameless, okay, so in other words, then I said, hey, I think it's possible in certain circumstances that uh, uh, that a man uh, could be an elder of the church if he were divorced. And I don't think the scripture uh, prohibits that. And and specifically, Brother Kevin helped me with this too, is that there's the language here being the, uh, the, the husband of one wife is different than the language used in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 9 where it talks about the widow and it says, having been the wife of one husband. Okay, that's a little bit different. That means that's more specific. Here, it doesn't use that same terminology, and so I think there's, there's room for this interpretation, which I've discussed with Brother Roger and with Brother Kevin both uh, in, in agreement with me about that if, it, me, if it's blameless, if a man is blameless in that divorcement, okay? In other words, there's nothing on the surface you can see. He's not to be blamed, and his, his uh, divorce qualified under the grounds... Uh, that are given in Scripture, then I think that if the, if the church is willing to consider them, then I think that this Scripture doesn't prohibit that. But keep in mind, what is, the, what is the God's primary goal and intention here? A man be married to one woman forever. But if we take and say it can only be, Brother Woodward, one man, one can only have one wife, period, then we exclude all single men. Because they don't have one wife. We also exclude those that would remarry after their wife had passed, possibly. Uh, we would also have to assume, Brother Brent, that they would also have to have children. Because it says having children, right? So, so therefore, there's a lot of other issues we'd have to consider if we take that interpretation. And a lot of people will disagree with me on this. And good men will disagree about this passage. And that's why I said that it's really up to the church as far as how they apply this scripture. We're understanding the interpretation is he must be a family man. He must be family oriented. Let's take the idea of the children for a second, okay? So if the children are faithful and that they're not accused of riot and and unruly, what does that mean? Okay, so what if a grown child begins to have some troubles in their life? Does that disqualify an elder? Well, it depends. Was he blameless? Did he do his duty in the home? Was he devoted to his family and his kids? Did he put the first ministry that God gave him at first and did he train them up in the way they should go and they just departed anyway? If that could be the case, Brother John, wouldn't you agree that, that in that case there would be an open for him to be possibly considered blameless? Amen? And then if what's, how that's going to be applied is going to be determined by that church body. By the leaders of that church body that consider that person as an elder. And they're either going to say, yeah, you're not blameless or yes, you are blameless and we can consider you. Amen. I don't know if that makes any, I hope that didn't muddy the water worse. But, but anyway, we must move on. Okay. Amen. So let's go to chapter verse seven. For a bishop must be blameless. So now we've moved to the position or the office of a bishop. Singular. Okay, and, uh, and again, we're talking about now, uh, this word would be, we, we think of this as a pastor, and Baptists like to stay away from the word bishop, because some other people that we don't necessarily agree with doctrine took this word. Right. And that doesn't make it a bad word, just because somebody else abused it, by the way. It's still in the Bible, but he said a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God not self-willed not soon angry not given to wine no striker not given to filthy lucre i'll say that in this respect a man not only must be a an elder must be a family man the bishop or an elder also must be a faultless man because he says blameless as the steward of god now let me go back for a second and just make sure we understand in the, in the verse 6 and in the verse 7 the uh, the we got our private life discussed in in verse uh, verse six the man's family okay we got more of a public life discussed here in verse seven but understand that the, the the qualifications here are so that 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 elder has a position of high moral ground because he's going to have to stand up and proclaim the word of God and the people are going to have to be able to receive it. Not seeing him as a hypocrite or as something different than what he's teaching. And so that would be a situation where that's why, you know, ideally you uh, you don't want any opportunity there to hurt the man of God's ability to stand up and authoritatively preach the Word of God. And one thing that gives it authority, of course, is that it's Scripture. And the other thing that gives it authority is that man's lifestyle and his living of that Scripture. Amen. Those are the two things that give it uh, the moral high ground. You know, uh, you remember Brother Roger from Nehemiah, chapter 5. Nehemiah said, by what all those other governors did, and then he used this phrase, he said, so did not I. That's why they responded to what he said. They didn't have a choice. They couldn't accuse him. He had the moral high ground. He wasn't taken. He was given. He was given to them, not taking a salary. He was, he was feeding them. He was doing all kinds of things sacrificially for them. So the pastor, in the same way, in his family life, he's got to have the high moral ground because he needs to be able to stand up and proclaim what God's plan is for the family. And the second of all, in his, in his personal life, but in a more public setting where they can see him, he must also have high moral ground. If he cannot achieve this, he cannot... Influence and lead his people. Y'all agree with that? So let's look at these. Look at these things here. The steward of God. What does the steward mean? Help me out. What does the steward mean, sir? Yeah, servant. If we think of it in a sense of being a caretaker, right? He's not an owner. Right? He takes care of something for someone else. So if he's a steward of God, what does that mean? He's taking care of something for somebody else, taking care of something for God. And so what are you looking for in an elder? You're looking for somebody that's not a Lord, but a leader. Right? Not lordship, okay? In other words, how does he see things, okay? Does he see things, uh, as, uh, the Lord is the head, or like he's the head? And we understand the pastor is the head, but but what is his position there? Does he see that headship as a position of servitude, like the Lord Jesus did? Does he take ownership, or is he a steward? That's the difference here. And so what does this look like? Now when we start breaking this down, he tells us what it looks like right here. He says as a steward of God, not self-willed. So for an elder, it can't always be about him. Does he always have to be right? If he does, does he always have to have his way? If so, that's not a, that's not a leader. Okay, and, and let me say this, uh, controlling is not leading. You control children, okay? You lead adults. Yes or yes? Okay, see, I'm helping you now, all right? Make sure you are getting the right answers here. But so, now he's not a lord, he's a steward here, okay? And he's an overseer, he's taking care of this for God. He's not self-willed, he's strong-willed, but not self-willed. And then it says he's not soon angry. A quick temper will be a downfall, for sure. And that's tied directly to the next thing, which is... Uh, not soon angry, not given to wine, and no striker. So if he's quick to be angry, he, he, he's also likely to be a striker. That's a bummer. The preacher's not allowed to hit, is he, Brother Roger? <laughs> didn't say they didn't deserve it, right? I mean, other men just got to do it for you or something, because you just some people need it, but you just can't do it if you're the preacher. You can't be a striker. Why is that? Because that's not God's way. And we'll see even down here when he talks about dealing with false uh, false prophets, okay, how do you shut their mouth? Well, you don't shut their mouth with your fist, you shut their mouth with the truth, man. And so so we see he can't be a striker, he can't be quick to anger, and he cannot be given to wine. And so again, now, it doesn't prohibit this completely, we can't make the Scripture say what it doesn't. But he certainly can't be given to it. And, and what we're talking about here, and then the last one we'll, we'll go ahead and mention again, is that not given to filthy lucre. What's that have to do with? The almighty dollar, money. The root of all evil is the love of money. If you look around, look at everything that's wrong with our society and trace it back. Just work it down, dig it down deep, and you'll see what it all comes back to. The love of money. And money gives you power. And people love power. And those two things go together. They love authority, position, whatever, lifestyle, whatever. They love it. They want it. And that causes them to do anything to get it. The preacher, the leader, the elder cannot be that. He can't be a striker because he can't lead by intimidation or by force. That's, That's not leadership okay, he cannot, uh, he must be in control of his appetites, including he can't be given to wine, he can't be given to his emotions, and he can't be given to the power of money. Um, I, had a, I had a guy, Brother Roger in the prison, ask me the other day about a pastor and about his salary. You know, how do you determine in your church, this guy used to be a pastor at some point, and Um, you'd be surprised, there's a lot of preachers in prison. I hate to say this, but there are. There's there's several. Percentage-wise, it's probably pretty low, but in my class and Brother John's class, probably there's more because they come to hear the Word of God and they're getting right with God. A lot of them have gotten right with God, gotten back on track. But, But he asked me about this. How do you determine how much to pay your preacher? I said, man, that's simple. That's easy. I said, you go to your preacher and you say... Brother, how much money do you need in order to make everything work out for you? How much do you need to take care of your family and do the things that you need to do and live, live your lifestyle? Is that hard? Then you pay Him at least that. And if you can't pay Him that, then you can't bring Him on. And if you can't trust Him to tell you the truth, then why are you going to let Him preach to you? I mean, how hard is that? It's like, how much you need, brother? I mean, let's get it done. If we can't do it, let's figure it out. And if we can't, then I'm sorry. I wish we could get you, but we just can't. You see, this is not really that complicated. This ain't the world. This ain't how, you know, the world's like, how low can we pay him? How much can we get him for? (laughs) <laughs> and the, and the, the preacher's like how much can we pay him now of course if he's worth if he's good he's worth a double portion so what you hope is is that you can raise him up as fast as possible and give him at least twice what he needs that's what the scripture says give him twice what he needs if he's good so you man I don't know anybody have a problem with that that's good even if I did say it it's God's word I didn't make it up Amen. All right. Well, we'll move on then. Y'all having so much fun, we'll go. But but money. Look, y'all know y'all know that this is the number one reason why cre- preachers get accused is about money. And you know what? There's a lot of people go into the ministry for money. That's a cushy job, you know. If you're not a man of God. OK, but you just fill in the position, man, you only got to show up a couple of days, a, 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 you know, a week at the church, you know, for a few hours and maybe uh, make an appearance in your office occasionally, you know, maybe talk to some people, whatever. And you get to be in the air condition most of the time, hopefully, unless you're a missionary down in Guyana or something, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, so there's a lot of false prophets and there's a lot of hirelings in the ministry, and because of that, the man of God gets a bad rap. But the man of God is still the man of God, and he deserves, he doesn't work for money. Jesus made this clear about the shepherd in John chapter 10. He said, the good shepherd layeth his life down for the sheep. But what does the hireling do? (laughs) He's gone, dude. When the wolf shows up, he runs. He ain't going to put his life on the line. I mean, a lot of hirelings today. And when it gets bad, they just pack up and go on somewhere else. Yeah. It's too hard. Yeah. Let's let them go. See what happens. Hope and wish them the best. Let's see verse 8. But a, but a lover. So here we have the negative in verse 7. You understand? These are things he cannot do. But verse 8, we have the positive. It says, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. So what's he supposed to be like? Well, he's supposed to be a friendly man. Right? Why should a preacher be friendly? Well, I think somebody said you draw a lot more flies with honey than you do vinegar, right? I mean, you draw people with kindness goes a long ways. Being friendly. And it says, the Bible says if you want to have friends, you need to show yourself to be friendly. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Amen? He is the friend of sinners says, so a lover of hospitality. Brother Roger, when I was over there with Brother Griggers, and you know how frustrating he can be, being with him. So he's, he's telling me, what time you getting to the airport? How are you getting to Blue Dens? I said, we'll catch a train out of Zurich, and we'll ride down to Blue Dens. And he's like, I'm going to come pick you up. I said, okay, all right, if that's what you want to do, come pick us up. So then he gets there, and of course he picks us up, and he's paying his parking. I was like, let me pay the parking. Nope. Like, okay, all right, I ain't going to fight him on this one, right? Okay, you got to pick your battles with Brother Griggers, right? And so then um, it's like, okay, so uh, getting get gas, getting diesel. Let me get let me get this. now. let me get my my supper. Nope, nope. One time, I got supper one time, Brother Rogers, because he was talking to the owner of the restaurant's wife, and uh, and he was distracted, and I slipped the guy the credit card, okay? He was a little bit upset about it, but here's what he told me. He said, this principle of hospitality, in biblical hospitality, think about it, in those days, when you took somebody into your home, you are expected to take care of them. It wasn't just, hey, here's a place to sleep, throw down over there in the corner. No, it's like, we're going to feed you, we're going to take care of you, your animals need a place to stay, we're going to provide feed for them. And so that's the way he sees things. I finally got a little bit better picture of that. He is stubborn, he's hard-headed, but he sees that as, hey, you came over here to be with me, I've got to show you hospitality. That's the way Brother Kevin treated us when we went to Australia. And it just it, 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 it almost shames you sometimes. It's just like, man, it's too much, it's over the top. But that's biblical hospitality. You take care of them. You take them in. You take care of them. And so a preacher is supposed to be a giving person. Not just friendly, but he's supposed to be giving. And if we see, if we go on here, it says, Not only hospitality, but a lover of good men. Aren't you glad Brother Rogers is a lover of good men? If it wasn't for that... We wouldn't have Brother Ron Ralph come preach for us. We wouldn't have people like Brother Travis Alltop and the other great preachers and the good missionaries and the good men that are attracted here. Brother Kevin Byer. Brother Tucker came here because of Brother Roger. He didn't come here because of East River Baptist Church. He knew Brother Roger. Brother Woodward told me that he, Brother Roger, out of all the 100 plus churches, who knows how many of you went in on deputation. You probably know. It was a bunch, wasn't it? Brother Roger stands out because he's a lover of good men. See, and so that's the kind of guy you're looking for to lead you. And then hopefully some of it rubs off on us. Amen. And we start loving good men. We want to take care of good men. And uh, he's supposed to be sober. That means to be serious about the right things. He's to be just. One of the things that kills a ministry is partiality. Right or right? right? Nobody likes that. Nobody. It don't work in a home and it don't work in a church. It don't work in a business. It don't work anywhere. It don't work in government. I mean, how many people think Hunter Biden's getting the same deal that Trump, Donald Trump's getting? Does anybody think that? No, there's partiality in, in, in the legal system. And, uh, and, and it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? You don't want to deal with it in the church. He's got to be holy. That means to be separated unto the Lord, separated from the world. He's got to be temperate. He can't be also in that that word temperate. What is the root word of that? What does it talk about? We think about temperature. He's supposed to be, and Brother Roger I think said this originally, he's supposed to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Okay, He's supposed to control the the, the temperature in the room not be controlled by it when it's hot he gets hot when it's cold he gets cold no no it's supposed to be changing it the elder the men and you'll see this when he gets over in chapter 2 dealing with the aged men okay they're supposed to de- they're supposed to change the temperature of the environment in the assembly they're not supposed to be given to it Amen. And so for us men, we need to step up as well. But it's certainly the preacher's requirement. He must be that type of man. So those are the things on the positive side that he must that he must do. And um, and so now let's look at verse nine. So we saw he's got to be a family man. We see he's got to be a faultless man. Then we see he's got to be a friendly man. And now we see he's also got to be a Faithful man, look at verse nine. Holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gangsayers. That word fast. When I looked at that, I started thinking about that. You know, we like we think about that as speed, fast. But we but this word is is the word fasten. Instead of being, it's not about speed, it's about grip. If you fasten something, you secure it, right? You stabilize it. You hold on to it. You get a grip on it. And that's what he's talking about, holding fast. To fasten, it means to bind, to hold secure, and he can't be separated from it. So the faithful man cannot be separated from the Word of God. He cannot. He must not go beyond the Word of God. Unless and, and pretend like it is the Word of God. Wow. He must be faithful to the Word of God. No, don't go away from it. And so it says, As he hath been taught. So, Brother Roger, you said this to me before, what does a man have? Paul said it originally, and through the Holy Spirit, what does a man have? That he has not been given. What can a man give that he doesn't have? He can and he's everything he has has been given to him. Okay? So that's the attitude here that he takes is that, hey, I need to learn. And when God gives me something, whether he does it personally through my Bible study, whether he speaks to my spirit, whether he does it through other men, through good books and reading and the way God has worked in the past, but when he, I have to be a student first before I can be a teacher. Not, not a good student does not make a good teacher. You have to be a good student first. And then you may, God may raise you up to be a good teacher. And then it says, sound doctrine. There's two things here. Number one, it's well supported in the Word of God. There's no holes, no leaks in it, okay? In other words, we don't pick out our favorite scripture, our favorite passage, and that's what we always refer to, and we just pick and choose and we eliminate the ones that we don't understand or they don't exactly agree with uh, you know, what we uh what we're we're promoting or what we're we're preaching on or teaching on or whatever. It's important and, and by the way, they get a lot of this in the jail. You know, men come in there and, and they just got their pet preaching they preach the same message and after you heard them once you you know it's going to be every time you know and and these guys i even had a guy last sunday that i preached there uh he was like yeah i don't go to that guy anymore because i already heard him two or three times been the same thing every time he's like you don't have anything else to offer so he don't if he's coming i just skip yeah don't waste your time so you got to be faithful have sound doctrine um and then look what it says here's the reason there's a positive and a negative so, first of all, is, is you must be able to exhort. Exhort means to encourage. Who do you want to encourage? The faithful. And how do you want to encourage them? With the truth. Right. Sound doctrine. What makes you free? The truth. Right. Who is the truth? Jesus Christ said, I am right. the way, the life, and the truth. Amen? So, he is the truth. He's and so we exhort them, we encourage them by by teaching and preaching the truth and exalting the person of truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's a negative side. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to exhort some people, and you're supposed to convince another group of people, the gangsayers. Who are the gangsayers? It has to do with brother. What brother Kevin taught a couple of weeks ago about the unbelief. They're the unbeliever. They lack faith. Maybe they're not even saved or born again. Most likely, I think that's what he's talking about here. But it could fit for the person that just doesn't have faith in a certain area. How are you to convince them? Sound doctrine, truth—that's where that's where this makes makes a difference. At okay, and so that's that's what the man of God is responsible for. And and then look at verse ten. How are we doing on time? Oh yeah, we got time. We're gonna try to we might get through this chapter today, Lord willing. We'll get close. Verse ten. Hey, any questions about verse nine? Hold him fast. Faithful man. So let's look at you know, look at you know, does this help you? What's your leadership? Evaluate your leadership. And then ascribe to these principles in our own life that we might develop into a leader. Right? And so, family man, faultless man, he's a faithful man, and he's a friendly man. And then verse ten. For here's the problem. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucres sake. Well, it didn't say there were a few, unfortunately, so there's many. There's many of these around. This is why the preacher's got to be able to not only encourage the faithful to exhort them, but he's got to be able to shut the mouths of the gangsters. He's got to be able to stop them, okay? And, and how are you going to do that? Again, it's the Word of God. Look at, the, look at the characteristic in verse 10 of these unruly and vain talkers. What does vain mean? Well, let's go back to unruly. What is unruly? That's pretty simple, right? What does that mean? They don't follow rules. They're ungovernable. They're rebellious. Right? You got, you got guys like... You, you can identify a few people like that. But we got a few people come to mind. So they're, they're, first of all, they're unruly. Second of all, they're vain talkers. What do they say? What kind of wagon rattles the loudest? The empty one. Yeah. You know, that vain means empty. They got nothing to talk about, but they're always talking. And guess who their favorite subject is to talk about? <clears throat> the most important person in the room. Me, not the Holy Spirit. You know, it's that's the vain talker. These are the guys, that the gang sayers, okay? And man, you run into this in the prison. I hate to use the example, but I spend a lot of time there, and it happens. And a conver- after about three or four weeks, and the conversation's always the same, it's always about you, you there's a problem here, right? It's like every week, the same thing. Yeah, How You're not getting a fair shake. You're not getting a fair deal or whatever. That's vain talking, and, and they're deceitful. So not only are they, they vain talkers, and by the way, that vain talking not only means they don't have anything to say, but they also they they're they're deceivers and they're subtle. They're actually used of the devil, and sometimes they don't even know it. They're taken captive, according to Second Timothy chapter two, and uh, and the reason is pride, pride, and uh, and it says, look at who the worst ones are here. They of the circumcision. What was the problem with the day of the circumcision? Who's he talking about? What group of people? Judaizers. Judaizers yeah. And what do they do? They mix something together, right? <laughs> you mix the wrong things together in a lab, you can blow stuff up, right? If you mix up things in the religion, you're definitely going to blow things up. And if you mix anything with the Lord Jesus Christ, add anything to, take anything away from, you add anything to grace you don't have grace anymore. And that's what they were doing. They were mixing law and grace. This is what the, the, the circumcised said. Hey, you've got to be circumcised. Well, if i got to do anything besides believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm in big trouble. Now it becomes about me and me being faithful, and that don't work out well. I've tried that. You know what I'm saying? I realize that now. I'm not. But He is. I trust Him and Him alone. And so the, the, the circumcisers, Paul had to deal with this all the time. All the time. How would you like to have this group just following you around wherever you went? Every church that you started, as soon as you left, you knew they were going to show up there. They were going to come in there and try to mix in some law with grace. That's what they did. You know what? I, I was telling Brother Roger, the Judaizers are still alive today. There's a move, there's a resurgence of the Judaizers. I'm starting to see these people in my practice and they come in and they talk to me and they bring me stuff. And they're like, yeah, look at this. And they want to go back to the Torah and they want to go back to some of this Jewish law. And they're like, oh, the New Testament is, that's Paul's gospel. That's not Jesus' gospel. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but basically the New Testament is void. Well, I guess the Resurrection's void then. And if the resurrection be void according to Paul, then we are most miserable. And boy, we're in bad trouble. No, no, it ain't, it ain't about that. So they were mixing things up. They were, they, he knew that this was going to come. And how again are we supposed to stop their mouths? It's with the truth, not with force, with the truth. What about Stephen in Acts chapter 7? They couldn't, they couldn't come against his wisdom because he just basically preached the Bible to them. He preached the Old Testament to them. And they had no, no, no answer for it. So what they do? They killed him. Because they didn't have any other way. They couldn't stop him, so they just killed him. It's the only way they could shut his mouth. They couldn't refute it. Happens still today. Certain places of the world. So, stop their mouths with truth. And here's the reason why. Because they subvert whole houses. Y'all see that? In particular, certain groups of people and those people are not strong in doctrine that are susceptible. And so you got to watch out for them. And the second thing is the last thing here in this verse is look at their motive. What's their motive again at the end? What's their motive? Money. Verse 10. For filthy lucre's sake. That's what they're all about. And so, the Cretans, the people that... That, Tim, that Titus has been sent to here to set the church in order, uh, they don't have a real good reputation for their moral character. Matter of fact, it says here in uh, verse, uh, verse 12, uh, one of these, okay, uh, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, saith, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. This witness is true. So, guess what? Not all of us got the best moral background. Mm, so for some of us. That's some of us, that's the culture we came from. Some of you guys might have better culture. But I'm pretty sure 2 Corinthians 5.17 is still in the Bible. If any man be in Christ, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You know, and as the guys, I mean, you, you think, if you think you had it bad go listen to some of the family situations in prison where those guys came from, you know. Um, and some of them, by the way, came from good situations too. You know, it doesn't matter. We can go bad either way. But but, but the point is is that just if you had a, a, a bad morality character problem in the past, if that was your culture, it can be overcome in Christ. Amen. And I, And I'll tell you this. I'll give you two things to help us, okay, if we came out of that, especially, or no matter what we came out of, and when we came out of it, the first thing we should do is guard ourselves against small compromises that lead us back into our previous sins. Guard yourself against small compromises that lead you back into the sin that you came out of. And the second thing is, is that you should also establish a new culture, this is why you must be involved with a New Testament church and a group of believers that have faith, believe the Bible, and, and, and exercise grace. We must be careful. This has happened to me in the past, and I, I hope it doesn't happen and not happening now. But we get our little center and, of influence so small that we don't have grace for anybody outside of that. You understand? And so we must be careful. You know, there's this independent Baptist world that we live in and it looks really good on the outside, but even if you pull the sheets back on some of that, you find out families are in a mess. Individuals are in a mess. The church of God all over the world, and especially here in America, is a mess. We'll see some of the reasons why when we get over to membership in chapter 2, but bottom line is Jesus is still the answer. And we're to take the answer to them with grace. You're not going to be, I'm Brother Tucker could say much more to this than I could and so could these other missionaries in here, but self-righteousness is not going to win anybody. Grace. Grace will. Grace to a person that comes out of especially a legal type environment, they appreciate grace so much. A friend of mine got saved out of the Jehovah Witness cult after about 30 years, and I really grew up in it, and uh, he said, oh, Grace, what a wonderful thing, what a wonderful thing. Don't take it for granted, amen. Time to go. We'll stop there. We'll pick up right there in the middle of uh, of verse 13 when we come next week, and we'll get into chapter 2. But Chapter 1 has been all about leadership. Chapter 2 is going to be about membership. Amen. That's about us. It's going to get more personal. Brother Brad, will you close us in prayer, please?